Good almost afternoon. We're 11 minutes from noon. So good morning still, Soul Sanctuary. Um, again, we're pumped that you decided to join us on a long weekend. I, I'm personally glad that you're here. Uh, my name is Jordan. I work uh, specifically with our high school students here. And uh, I, I have that fantastic opportunity. And, and this morning we are going to journey together uh, through the scriptures. We're going to be looking into the book of Matthew. Uh, over the last three weeks here at Seoul, if you've been uh, showing up for the last couple of weeks, or you've listened per potentially online on the podcast, you would know that we were in the midst of a series called Sex with the Lights On. And uh, that was a three-week series, and we're actually extending it a little bit, not, not this morning, uh, but on first Wednesday. So the first Wednesday in March at 7.07 p.m., uh, upstairs in the Student Center, uh, that, that's like a time where we come together for, for corporate worship again and, and some in-depth teaching. And Pastor Jerry's going to continue the conversation about sexuality just because, uh, like, when, when I gave the, the, the first lesson in that series, I, I just gave the illustration that you're just taking the lid off all these cans, right? And you're just like, like psh, sex here, psh, sex there, psh, sound effects with sex. Okay, whatever. Uh, we just have the, we're, we're taking the lid, uh, opening a can of worms. There we go. And as we do that, conversations start to happen. And uh, phone calls come in and, and meetings happen amongst uh, members of our, our team here and, and you. And emails flood in, and, and we just have so much, to be honest, we have so much hurt, uh, and, and we need a lot more, uh, we, need, we need to have more conversations when it comes to sexuality in the church, so that's what we're doing. First Wednesday, you're going to want to be there, uh, and Pastor Jerry's going to lead that one up. When we're not going through a little mini-series like Sex with the Lights On, what we're doing here at Souls, we're journeying through a book of the Bible. So we pick a book of the Bible, say so we're going to start at the front and we're going to go to the end. And uh, we picked the book of Matthew, and of course it's been separated by series, series here, series there, whatever. But we've been in the book of Matthew uh, for just over a year now, and we are almost halfway through. We're like just at that threshold, so uh, praise the Lord we're getting there. Uh, but today, I, I hope as we go through Matthew 13, that, that you're going to learn something, that you're going to take something home with you. Uh, that, that's, that's the goal. So, open your Bibles to Matthew 13, if you have your Bibles with you. Uh, your phone, uh, you can switch over from Instagram to the Bible app, if you want that one. Uh, or you can read along on the screens, it's going to be up there. But let me take you through Matthew 13 to kick things off this morning. Here we go. Matthew 13, the parable of the sower. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered around him. <laughs> oh, okay. They, <laughs> pause this. Uh, somebody told me that they, uh, they give me this little uh, platform. They put this little platform out here. So, okay. oh, come on. I like that. That was moody. Uh, they give me this little platform so I don't, like, walk because I'm a walker and a talker. And I'd be, like, all the way over there preaching at you. So they put me in a cage. That's how I feel right now, in a cage. Um, either or, lights. I, I like them both, by the way. Okay, let's go back. Let's go back to the Bible, okay? Matthew 13, you in it with me? Come on. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into the boat and sat down. Okay. The whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, 
where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Let he who has ears, let him hear. Now some of you heard that and you're like, what is going on? Like, welcome to, welcome to church, we're talking about farming or something like that. And, and you're not alone in that because right afterwards, Jesus, he tells this parable, right? This, this made-up story that matters. And then his disciples come up to him. So I'm saying you're not alone in, in your confusion here because the disciples, the, the people who spend the most time around Jesus, the most time learning from Jesus, they come up to Jesus and they say this, um, Jesus, why do you speak to them in parables? They're essentially uh, telling Jesus, Jesus, like, you're talking in parables, and we hardly understand you. How do you think that everybody who's listening, this crowd that has gathered, how do you think they are going to understand? And, and the disciples are having this moment where they just, they just don't quite get it. And so what does Jesus do? He offers a justification for, for teaching in parables. In the next five to six verses, Jesus outlines to his disciples uh, why he teaches in parables. Now, this is very important, but this is actually, it's like the disciples have interjected here, and then Jesus goes off to, to, to uh, settle their, uh, their, their questions or to answer their questions. So they've interjected into Jesus telling a story. Now Jesus settles it, but then Jesus goes right back to the parable. And he goes right back to talking about the parable. So what we're going to do is we're going to take the disciples' interjection and we're going to leave it for just a moment uh, for all of today, actually. Pastor Jerry is going to do a, a life lesson on why parables are important. And this text factors into that. But what we're going to do is we're going to go right back to where Jesus explains this parable to the people. So we pick it up. If you fast forward, like five or six verses there, we fast forward to verse 18. So follow along here. Hear then, Jesus says, the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil, evil one comes away and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word, immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arise on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on the good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. So what's happened is, is Jesus told the parable. His disciples said, uh, we don't quite get it. And then Jesus interpreted the parable with a meaning. And he gave them exactly what it means. And that's what we are going to unpack together this morning. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the opportunity to gather here. We thank you for the opportunity to hear your word proclaimed. I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, uh, your word would be proclaimed to each and every heart here this morning. Father, that it's not my words, but yours. And we thank you in your name. Amen. 
Have you ever had to tell somebody to do something? In any context, any context at all. Um, maybe you had to tell somebody to do something at work. You, actually, you had to teach them to do something. When I was in high school, I washed trucks, like semi-trucks. I, I worked in uh, Oak Bluff, Manitoba. And, uh, okay, we got Oak Bluff represent. Uh, I worked in Oak Bluff, and I sprayed semi-trucks every Saturday and every vacation day I had uh, when I wasn't in high school so that I could make some money and, and probably spent it all at 7-Eleven. Um, but I, I sprayed semi-trucks. And my personality, if I'm totally honest, and I'll be very honest with you this morning, I'm very type A, all right? I'm very methodical. I'm very, here's a problem. Let, let, let's identify the problem. Let's identify a solution. Let's execute the solution. Let's have a due date to, to, to have that problem resolved by. Like, I am A plus B equals C as it gets, all right? And so for me, there was a way to wash the trucks. Now, this sounds stupid, and some of you are like, really? And even today, this actually lingers when I wash my car. I, there is a way to wash. There is a, um, a strategy that you can use to both optimize your time uh, to both optimize your resources and, and, and just make that truck leave that garage squeaky clean, all right? And that sounds stupid to some of you, but when a new person came in, and, and, and I was there every Saturday, so I would work with the new people who would work Saturdays too and like, had to teach them. Like, it was an issue if they did not follow my formula, all right? If they were just like willy-nilly spraying one-handed the truck and getting the brush and throwing so like that, that, that created a little bit of anxiety in me, if I'm totally honest with you. Uh, but I had to teach them to wash the truck. And maybe uh, any teachers in here or you're in education of one degree or another? Okay, yeah, we got some teachers, sweet. So uh, the teachers bear a responsibility for imparting knowledge on their students, right? They, they teach their students something. The goal is that the students actually uh, uh, take something and walk away and they now have newfound knowledge that's going to help them in life in one way or another. It's teachers. They bear this responsibility. There's nothing like, it's nothing like being a teacher and you, you sit there and you're, you're teaching and then the student doesn't get it so you differentiate your instruction and you just help them learn in a different way and they don't get it and you're just like you're working with them over and over and hours and hours and hours. And then there's those students that just actually, like, aren't listening, you know, like, they're just there doing their time, and, and they're so checked out, uh, but then, of course, it's your fault that you haven't taught them. So you can teach there uh, in, a, in a workplace, you can teach in a classroom, parents, uh, you teach your children, you potty train your children, that is teaching as it gets, right? Like, I, I don't have kids, so I don't know this firsthand quite yet, uh, but this idea of, of potty training your child in my A plus B equals C world, it should be like, okay, child, don't poop your pants. Therefore, child does not poop their pants, right? But it does not work that way. You know it does not work that way. As much as you wish it worked that way. But there's this process of teaching. There's this process of imparting knowledge. Uh, in the context of our youth ministry here at Seoul, uh, uh, my, myself as well as our team, uh, we, we walk, we journey with high school students. We literally, uh, it sounds cliche by this point, but we do life with them, right? When they need something, we're the ones that they call. Uh, we offer ourselves as support in every area possible because we love them and we want to see them grow into discipled followers of Jesus who are therefore making disciples. So in this process of mentoring and teaching, uh, you walk alongside students and you're like, okay, if you do that, there will be consequences. If you do that, and it's a dumb decision, 
Uh, you're going to have to pay for it down the road. And you, you, you just give them all the advice, all like the scriptural insight and wisdom that you could potentially muster. And then for a week, they don't do uh, the, the, the damaging behavior. And then a week later, it's like they do it and they come running to you being like, I know I shouldn't have done it. And you're like, why don't you learn? And the grace of God then is so required in all of our hearts that we pass on to them. Here's the thing. Uh, instructors, teachers, mentors, in any field, no matter where you find yourself, you desire your students, your pupils, your listeners, to not just hear, but to actualize the information. You want this process. You hear through the ear, you understand in the mind, and then it's actualized or manifested in the heart. That is the goal. That is what a teacher wants. There is nothing like, like, like being a teacher, teaching somebody something, and when you see that light bulb go on, that's why teachers keep doing what they do. When they see that light bulb go on, it is the most rewarding experience because that student finally got it. Teachers bear a massive weight of responsibility. Whether it's washing trucks, teaching in a classroom, there is a, um, a responsibility that teachers bear that if you fail to instruct somebody properly, there may be consequences in the future because of your failure. Think about this for a moment. If you, if you fail to train somebody to do their job properly, that in the future, there may come a point where they suffer consequences of the employer because you failed to teach them, right? That also applies to the classroom. That also applies to your children, right? The, the, the community that you raise your children in, the love and care and support that you give to your child as your child grows, affects the outcome of their life. I'll never forget being, uh, teaching in the classroom a couple years ago. And uh, I, I was lecturing on Shakespeare, of all things. And I, I have this moment. It's not gross. It's good. Uh, I, I have this moment that I, that's burned into my memory of when I, when I looked at the back of the classroom. And as I was teaching, I saw something going on in the back of the classroom. And it didn't quite make sense. Like, everything was, was making sense as far as the instruction went. But I looked, and there was something going on. And I had to respond to a situation of a student going into diabetic shock into the back of my classroom. So I'm not a doctor. I'm not trained for that. I'm no EMT. Like, I, 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 what do I do, right? But as a teacher, you have a responsibility. Uh, in the classroom, it's for the safety, but also for the intellectual learning of a student. There is a weight of responsibility. Teachers in the church bear this same weight. There is a weight that I bear quite literally on my shoulders as my posture slouches in my chair as I am up at night. We look to James 3.1. It tells us that teachers will receive an even greater judgment. It does not help me sleep at night. In Luke 12, Jesus tells a parable related to good management. And he says, To everyone who much was given, much will be required. To him who was entrusted much, they will demand even more. The responsibility of having hundreds of ears to speak to on a Sunday weighs heavily on me. It truly does. I take it with a seriousness, the words that I'm about to speak. But here's the thing this morning. Is that this passage that we are diving into, Matthew 13, is not about me as a teacher. 
It's about us, me included, as a listener. It's not about the teacher and the weight of responsibility there. It's about us, you, me, everybody else in this room, as listeners of the word. Today, my desire for you is not that you just hear with your ears. My desire is that you understand with your mind and that that is actually manifested in your heart. Jesus told parables, stories which are meant to upend your life. The parables of Jesus were never, ever, hear me, hear me clearly, the, the parables of Jesus were never, ever intended to be relegated to flannel graphs in the bottom of an old church basement. Oh, the stories of Jesus were never meant to be shrunk down to just nice moralistic dogma that tells you, do A, do B, you'll get to C. That's not what Jesus came to do. That's not how Jesus came to teach. Jesus was a revolutionary teacher. And we, we've talked about it as we've gone through the book of Matthew. Specifically when we looked at the Sermon on the Mount. We, we saw what Jesus was saying was so countercultural, Completely switched uh, cultural understandings of, of how they should act on their head. C.S. Lewis in his prolific book, Mere Christianity, he said this about Jesus. Now hear me, hear me carefully. Follow along on the screen. I am trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. That I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is one thing we must not say. A man who is merely a man and said the sorts of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of a man who said he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come away with any patronizing nonsense about this, about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. So when we arrive at this parable in Matthew 13, the first conclusion that we must arrive at is that Jesus didn't come to give us nicely packaged, cute little made-up stories that matter. He didn't do that. Jesus truly came as a revolutionary. He didn't come to give you like an Oprah spirituality, right? Just so easily, easily uh, uh, digestible. That's not the person of Jesus. Jesus came in, or Jesus came and taught to usher a revolutionary kingdom. That's what he was on about. Uh, in the context of youth ministry, again, uh, they say that about 70 to 90 percent, somewhere in there, of students, once they graduate high school, leave the faith, or they leave the church. They, 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 they get rid of the church. So these are students who, um, at some point, have come in high school, or they were raised in the church, and they were part of specifically, like, youth group programming and things like this. And I am firmly, firmly convinced that the reason our students leave the church when they graduate high school, is because they have been fed an easily palatable, easily digestible, soft-spoken uh, message of Jesus. 
They, they, they've been given this, this incredibly simple pseudo-gospel, which says to them, show up to church on Sundays and you're going to be just fine. You know, just once a week, just come to church, sit at church, or come to youth group, sit at youth group, take it all in, and then go out, you're going to be fine. And then they hit the real world, where, where that actually doesn't hold up anymore. Where, where faith isn't something that can just be participated in on Sunday, but actually has to be something that's heard, that's understood, and that's actualized. For too long, for too long the church has treated Jesus as a nice addition to our comfortable lives and not the reason that we live. When you look at what Lewis was trying to say, he's saying that Jesus is who he says he is or he's not. There's no middle ground. And this is my fear, that in Western Christianity, we've taken the middle ground, like, like the path of least resistance. We just said, like, I'm going to take Jesus, and I'm going to just bring him along for the ride, as opposed to following Jesus to wherever he leads us. So let's get into this passage this morning. What happens first? That same day, the text says, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and he sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. So this is what happens. Word travels fast wherever Jesus is. So when Jesus leaves the house, it's like paparazzi, right? Jesus leaves the house and he goes to the sea. He sits down there. And in no time, people are there. They're, they're crushing in a, in a crowd. I'm not, I'm not a big fan of crowds. I dodge the Santa Claus prayed as much as I possibly can. It's just not really my thing. I'm not comfortable there, right? But these people, they put their comfortability aside so that they could be a part of the crowd that hears Jesus teach. So many people, in fact, that Jesus gets into a boat. I'm assuming somebody kind of like grabbed the rope and kicked him off a little bit. And he sat in the boat, kind of just floating off on the shore. And then everybody came and they stood around the beach. I'm sure some people were probably wading into the water a little bit. But these people wanted to hear Jesus. So they stood at attention, listening to him while he taught from the boat. Now, this is something that I, I find interesting. In our culture, the teacher stands... And the listeners sit. You ever thought about this for a moment? How, how does this reflect on us? It's the pastor's job to be learned, to be studied, to, to have something to impart. And it's your job to just passively sit there and soak it all in? It's problematic, isn't it? As we just sit there, it's a lot easier to fall asleep sitting down than it is standing up at attention, isn't it? I told our high school students, I was studying this this week, and I, I told our high school students on Friday night, what if I just like popped a squat right here, and you all had to stand over the course of the next, I don't know, maybe that day I'd teach them for two hours, and you all, I, I'm going to teach you for two hours, and you stand and listen to me, right? Like this completely throws everything that we know about, about teaching within our paradigm on its head. But this is what's happening here. Uh, our, 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 our teacher is sitting, and our Listeners are standing. Here's the point. They're attentive. They want to hear what Jesus has to say. Jesus, in their minds, is worth listening to. So I'm going to ask you, as a precursor to, to our, our lesson this morning, is he worth listening to for you? So, our, our version of Christianity, 
North America, I call it North American comfortable churchianity, really. When, when we look at this uh, paradigm that we've created, this way of doing things, we find two polar extremes. On one hand, we find, uh, and Pastor Jerry talked about this great when he, when he was talking about culture, we find this cultural uh, value of uh, being led with what you believe, what you, what you feel, what you really feel, right? That all your decisions, if any, are actually dictated by what you believe in your head and what you feel with your heart. That that is somehow your own version of truth, what you believe and what you feel. And then on the other hand of the equation, we have this intellectualism. I think, like, I, 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 enjoy, um, I enjoy academic study and discourse, and, and I have a couple friends that we'll get together and we'll hang out, like, uh, usually us and the wives, and the wives will sit on one end of the table and talk about things that interest them, and then the guys will sit on, on this end of the table, and we'll get into some of those, like, really deep talks, right? We'll, we'll, we'll talk about, like, theology, or, like, we'll get into uh, a, a study of history, because I'm passionate about history, and, and we'll, we'll have those talks, and we'll hash it out, and I don't agree with you, uh, but okay, uh, here's my point, and here's my counterpoint, and, and at the end of the day, we're all still friends, but, but we spend a lot of our time in that, in that um, discourse. And so on Valentine's Day this week, um, my wife, bless her soul, uh, I had a, a soccer game scheduled at 6.15 on Valentine's Day, you know, like dinner time, Valentine's Day. And she decided to come with me to my playoff soccer game, all right? Best wife ever. Big fan. So as we're driving across town on Valentine's Day to get to my soccer game, uh, we're chatting. And I'm telling her about some of the things I have recently learned. I'm telling her about history, and I'm specifically, uh, I'm, I'm reading about Martin Luther and the Protestant Reformation, and a lot of the things that were going on in the, in the context of Europe at that point. And I'm just like explaining to her like all, all these issues that are raised in the book, and, and some of them are really genuine issues. Like, like they have to be hashed out for us to have an understanding of Christianity, to have an understanding of who our God is. But a lot of them are secondary issues that that really, in the grand scheme of thing, uh, the, their significance or their importance is, is relegated to the table of me and my buddies hashing it out. And so I'm just sharing, and I'm sharing, and I'm sharing, and I'm getting like intense as I'm sharing with her as we're driving. It's like a monologue. I'm just giving it. And, and then as I get, as I get to the, the point where like my story climaxes, she looks at me and she interrupts me. And she says, she, she says to me, Jordan, let me just remind you of something. And I'm like, ah, oh. obviously I've gone too far. And she just reminded me of my purpose. It's so easy for me to get caught up in, the, in these passionate pursuits of, of thought and of study, which are not inherently bad things. But when they distract me from my purpose, they are. And she just simply reminded me that my purpose is to preach the gospel. My purpose is to tell people that Jesus loves them, that he has a plan for them, and he desires them to enter a relationship with him. And it was this sobering moment. So on this side, we have the, I believe, I feel Christianity that dictates, uh, uh, that, that, that really comes to no action, but dictates our opinions. We have an opinion on everything, right? And on, on this side, we have this intellectualism where we sit around in Bible studies and we, we are like, oh, Ephesians, what a great book, right? And then we close it, we put the Bible back on the shelf, and then we leave, and it doesn't make a difference. So between this feeling and this intellectualism, the state of the church is actually in a little bit of trouble. 
And I think Jesus knew this when he was getting ready to, 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 to teach in Matthew 13. He knew that we'd be at this place. Human nature hasn't changed much. So, here's my challenge to you. The people are standing and listening to Jesus. They are actively listening. They are engaged listeners. My challenge to you this morning, and I will probably usher this challenge a thousand times before we're done, but engage your mind with me here this morning. Engage your mind. Not just in a I believe, I feel kind of way. Not just in like a, an intellectualism kind of way. But engage your mind, hear through your ears, understand in your mind, and actualize in your heart. Alright, let's get that process. I think it's important that Christianity is not just about what you believe. It's about what you do with what you believe. You can't believe in Jesus and not follow him. There's an inherent connection between the two. Zone in. Here we go. Before we dive into the parable itself, we're going to touch on a couple things. We're going to just draw some, um, um, some clarity. So if you're still on Instagram, now's the time to go to the notes app because this is going to hit you where, where you're at this morning. The parable of the sower, Jesus draws reference to a couple things. We have a sower, we have seed, and we have soil. And so we have four kinds of soil. And, and in the parable of the sower, uh, it's called the parable of the sower, but the focus is actually drawn to the seed. The seed is the focus that, that we're going to be looking at here. And the seed is what Jesus calls later in, in, in Matthew 13, as we read, uh, the word of the kingdom. This seed is the word of the kingdom. So what is the word of the kingdom? This is the message of Jesus. It is the person of Jesus, as well as the words of Jesus and the teaching of Jesus that we have canonized into our scriptures and have preached for over the last two millennia. This is the word of the kingdom. And the last thing to clarify is that through, as we go through this parable, as you actively listen to what the scripture says, you are going to find yourself in this parable. Your heart, as well as my heart, is going to be reflected in this story. You will see the parallels of, of exactly where you're at, modeled through the teaching of Scripture. This is how the Bible works. This is how the Holy Spirit convicts us. So, Jesus talks about three fields that do not produce fruit. He talks about one field that does produce fruit. Here's the danger when we're trying to find ourselves in this parable, or in any parable. We really like to think highly of ourselves in our society. How much time did you spend in the mirror this morning? I'm guilty as could possibly be, but how much time did you spend in the mirror getting yourself ready so you could be presentable, so that everybody else would have a favorable opinion of you as you walked in? Right? We care a lot about ourselves. We see ourselves quite highly, generally. But we do a great disservice to ourselves and to our understanding of Scripture if we look at the non-fruit-bearing fields as the other. If we look at the non-fruit-bearing fields as people who don't know Jesus yet, or people outside the church, or maybe somebody in the back row. This text is meant to be self-critical. I can't do that for you. I can stand up here and tell you what it says, but if you choose to be actively engaged in listening, then you will allow it to speak to your heart. Like, you're great. 
I know some of you. You're fantastic people, but you're not Jesus good, all right? I, I like to think I'm pretty good, right? I got that high self-esteem, apparently. Uh, but I'm not that great. I'm not Jesus great. So let's humble ourselves for a moment. Collectively, let's humble ourselves, and let's come to the feet of Jesus and see what he has to teach us. So, field one, the footpath. What I'm going to do is I'm going to read the first section of Scripture as Jesus tells the story, and then I'll read the second part of the Scripture as Jesus interprets the parable, all right? So here's the first part. As he sowed, some of the seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Jesus interprets this as, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. Each field here is described as a listener of the word. Consider this. These are church people. No one here in this parable is actively rejecting the gospel of Jesus Christ. They are listening to it. This is you and me it's talking about. We find people who hear, but they do not allow the, root, the word to take root. Consider this, that the hearts being described here are hard. They're like a trampled footpath. When I was at the U of M, um, and somebody confirmed this to me in between the gatherings, that this still happens, uh, but when I was at the University of Manitoba, uh, there was the bus depot, and then there was what they called the quad right after, and it was this green space that essentially you were like supposed to play frisbee on, or like frolic and study in blankets in the summertime, like it, it, even though it's a constantly winter at the University of Manitoba during school uh, semesters. Regardless, that, that, that was the quad. But the one thing that you noticed about the quad, especially in summer session when the grass was green, is that when people got off the bus and they had to move across to some of the main buildings, they didn't walk around the nice paved stoneway that went around the green space. They blazed a trail right through it. And, and not only one way, but the other direction too. So you're, they called it the quad, and now it was actually separated into four quadrants. And it's because people walked on the path. Now, me being my very type A cleanliness personality, I'd be like, okay, no, I'm going to take the extra 10 seconds, and I'm going to spite all of you walking, who, walking on the, the, the green space by walking around. You know, I'll just give you the eyes the whole time I do it too, right? Like, the university doesn't want you there. And so much so, the university didn't want people walking across the grass that they would put up these little gates and I can remember, especially in springtime, and it'd be like a little three-foot gate that, that would just block the footpath. And so what did people do? You walk to the three-foot gate, you take one big step around it, and then you walk around it and you blaze a new footpath, and then take the trail to your destination. And then they brought out the bigger gates, the gates that stretched for 10 feet. And not only that, they, they um, put soil down and they seeded the footpath, right? We don't want this, this foot traffic through our green space. What did people do? They just went around the bigger gates, right through the middle of the quad, trampled the seed, trampled the new soil. I'm sure they got muddy shoes in the process. And then onto the bus or off to class. So somebody confirmed that to me. That, that still happens regularly. It's funny. But here is the thing, is that in the end, those paths, that soil, uh, was ready to take feet before it was ready to take seed. It was so conditioned to taking feet that when seed was planted on it, it wouldn't take. In fact, the feet trampled it over and over and over again. 
There are people in here, you would rather, your heart would rather receive feet than it would seed. You would rather digest Facebook posts. You would rather digest uh, uh, snap stories. You would rather digest the daily news than digesting the Word of God. It's much easier. Man, I am, I am a guilty hypocrite preaching at you. I have my time of confession this week as I'm like, oh, why did I get this passage? But this is us. It's so much easier to consume every other piece of, 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 of written text, of media, of conversation amongst other people. We're so trapped that we refuse to allow the seed to germinate. We, we refuse to understand it. And then what happens? Jesus goes on to explain that it's the evil one who snatches away the seed. This is not an example of, of, of evil dominating over God's good. That's not how it works. This is an example of us refusing the good that God offers us, making us a prime target for the enemy. So, it's time to stop for a moment. Field one, the first soil. Ask yourself, is your heart heart hard? Is your heart hard? Do you hear the word but refuse to soak it in? Do you make yourself a prime target to have it snatched? Here's the truth. Is that there's hope for you if you find yourself there. There's hope for you. And your hope lies in the gospel and in the saving power of a knowledge that Jesus Christ loves you. And like I said earlier, desires that intimate relationship with you. Where that soil, that hardened soil can be softened and eventually come to the point where it's producing fruit. Your heart change this morning is not going to come on account of anything you do by yourself. Your heart change, if you know you need it, will come through the power of prayer and the Holy Spirit impressing Himself upon you and your response to Him. When we move into field two, it's the rocky ground. Jesus, in telling the parable, says this, Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, explanation, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while, and then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. In Manitoba, maybe we picture soil that's like been mixed with gravel, right? You've seen that before. Uh, or maybe we picture like a farmer's field that is, it has a section where it's too rocky to really plant anything in, for anything to really uh, root and grow. But in Jesus' in Jesus's time where he's teaching this, you, you, it's not uncommon to find a layer of topsoil, so like good fertile soil, but underneath was a bed of limestone. So nothing could really take root. As the winds washed in this topsoil, the seeds would fall upon it. The morning dew would germinate the seed. The seed would sprout. But because it could not root deeply through the limestone, the sun would come and scorch it. It would burn it up. And ultimately, the seed that germinated dies. 
Jesus specifically interprets the rising sun for us here. He says the rising sun is persecution or tribulation on account of the word, on account of your faith. When things get tough, Jesus is saying, because you've decided to follow me, are you deciding just to mail it in? These are people who accept the word with joy. They get the highlighter out, man. They're highlighting Bible verses. They're tweeting out memorable spiritual uh, uh, 280-character moments. These are people on fire. But when push really comes to shove, when the sun comes out, they're scorched. This reads us. This scripture reads us. Be self-critical for a moment. Are you compromising the convictions of your faith because it's easier to compromise them than it is to stand on them? I'm not saying to go be a loud, obnoxious, arrogant Christian who browbeats people with Bibles. It's not what I'm saying at all. But do you stand for what you believe? Uh, uh, do you conveniently ignore or, or hide the fact that you are a follower of Christ because you're fearful of the reception that you'll get from others? Teaching, Jesus' teaching on this rocky field makes you and I pray for staying power and for deep roots. It makes you and I pray to be unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because what else can we do? And we go to field three. It's thorny soil. Jesus tells it, The other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. As for what was sown among thorns, explanation, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world... And the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. The cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches are choking some of you out right here, right now. Maybe you've been sitting here for for two, three, four years, and you've been in a chokehold and you don't even know it. This is the thing about, about a choke, is that it's a slow process. When the bird comes and snatches the seed, it's gone in an instant. But when it's choked out, when the thorns rise up from the ground and and, and begin to suffocate the seed, it's slow. And at first you don't notice. And then you get to the point of complete hopelessness when, when you're shriveled up by the sun because the thorns have choked you out and the whole time you were dying and you didn't know it. This is actually scary for us. Maybe you've been too busy to read your Bible. Maybe you're so invested in the hustle of your work that you've actually neglected the call of God on your life. Maybe even some of you have turned your back on a call to vocational ministry because you were fearful of what the finances looked like. Maybe you commit to things here in the the church, in the body of Christ, but when something better comes along, or something easier comes along, you drop your commitment and you run to whatever the next best thing is. That's who Jesus is talking about in the thorny soil. Maybe your family has become your idol. Maybe you worship your family instead of God. 
Maybe your kids' sports have taken precedence over their spiritual relationship with God. Matthew 16, 24 to 26. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Think about this for a moment. Think about the imagery that Jesus uses. Take up their cross. What are crosses for? Crucifixion. Take up their cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what would it profit a man if he gains the whole world but forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Ladies and gentlemen, let me make this crystal, crystal clear. Jesus did not call us to live a life of $5 lattes and comfortability. Not inherently bad things. But he didn't call you to be a passive, uh, uh, a passive, uh, independent little cloister of Christians who, who don't go out and don't do what he says. That is not the life he intended for you. He intended a life on mission. He intended a life, tell, uh, intended a life for you to tell others about the life-changing knowledge of Jesus Christ. The life-saving power that he offers each and every single one of us. Maybe we are so invested in the concerns of this world that we've actually forgotten about Jesus. Are you so concerned about the politics uh, of our neighbors to the south that you have forgotten about Jesus? Are you so mixed up in the anxiety of this age, uh, of the humbug of wealth, that you have forgotten Jesus? Are you producing nothing of eternal value? Ask yourself that question. And, and this is the crazy part. For the good of your eternal destiny, I can't sugarcoat this. Matthew 12, 30. Whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. Do we see the significance of this? So are you in or are you out? You make that decision and at some point in your life you're going to have to answer that for yourself. But are you in or you're out. I can't make this decision for you. Do you spend more time reading, watching, listening uh, uh, to BuzzFeed opinion articles than you do investing in the scriptures and allowing the scriptures to read you? Uh, do you find yourself trapped in the pursuit of wealth? Are you, are you trapped in greed? Maybe you justify it to yourself by being like, well, if I make more money, I can give the church more money. The, the, the money is not the bad thing here. It's the state of our heart. Can you be honest with yourself? Are you in the chokehold of wealth? It's our heart. Our heart is the focus. It's possible to be rich and to be not deceived. It's very possible. It's possible to be in this world and not choked out because of its cares. But take a moment and be honest with yourself here this Sunday morning. What are you in this for? The, the, the scary thought is that there's those of you who have been here Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday in the chokehold and you don't quite know it. 
There's an old English proverb. Not all who go to church say their prayers. After every sermon, after every single sermon that I've preached through the last six years here at Soul Sanctuary on a Sunday morning, somebody has come up to me and said, that was a great sermon. Every single sermon. This never happens at youth, ever. But always happens here, here on Sundays. So they come up, they say, that was a great sermon. I go, okay, thanks. That's great. And I also get a fair deal of that was a not-so-great sermon, so don't think I'm letting this get to my head, because I'm not. But that was a great sermon. And then we leave this place after expressing how much we valued the, the sermon. We leave this place, we walk out the door, and we're just thankful that we have a pastor who can exegete the scriptures and, and really tell us what Jesus says. But every tangible piece of that gospel truth sits in the warm seat that you have now vacated. The truth of the matter is this this morning. I don't want to be known for the, as the pastor who preaches good sermons, nice sermons, or anything like that. That is not what I want to be known for. I want to be known as the pastor who preaches the worst kind of sermons, the, the most awful kind of sermons, the, cons, the, the sermon that makes you so uncomfortable in your comfortable Christianity that you cannot help this place uh, but, but repent, uh, or, or you cannot help but leave this place and repent of your apathy. That is the kind of sermon I want to preach. I, I want to preach the kind of sermon that makes you so uncomfortable in where you're at that you dig into the scriptures to know more of Jesus. Not to know the word that's just said here on a Sunday morning, but for you to know it for yourself and for it to read you back. I want to preach the kind of sermon that makes the gates of hell shudder as Jesus said they would when the local church bands together and rises up to defeat the evil forces at work in this world because I truly believe it's possible. That is the kind of sermon I want to preach. I want to preach a sermon where the gospel truth is proclaimed, where captives are set free, because of a life-saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's the kind of sermon that I want to preach. We sit here week after week after week, and this is what we do. This is exactly it. We enjoy the benefit of Jesus. We enjoy the benefit of Christ-like community. There are so many benefits. Jesus knew what he was doing when he prescribed community for us. We enjoy that benefit, but we don't like to follow his commands. We don't like to take him at his word and actually follow him. And this is troubling. So I ask you this morning, as Pastor Jerry will often ask you, are you serving here, investing in this community? Or are you just drinking the free coffee? It's not that great, so you can have it anyway. But the truth of the matter persists. Are you giving to this house? Or are you just showing up and consuming from it? My prayer is this, my honest, sincere prayer from the depths of my heart is this, that the Holy Spirit convicts you in your heart where you can repent, trust me, as I did this week, of the apathy that I have toward the gospel and say, Jesus, I want you more than I want my comfortable life. Jesus, I want you more than I want anything else in this world. My prayer this morning is that the Holy Spirit begins to loosen the bonds of the thorns, strangling your heart. 
my prayer this morning is that you go from hardened ground to good soil. From rocky ground to good soil. From a weed-infested, thorny ground to good soil capable of producing fruit. That's my prayer. And that takes us onto field number four, the good soil. Jesus says, Other seeds fell on good soil, and they produced grain. Some hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. It's a simple process. Good earth, the seed fell on it, it germinated, it took root, and it grew, and it produced fruit. What Jesus doesn't give us is a, as much as I would want him to, Jesus doesn't give us a do a do be, get fruit, right? He doesn't give us a, a transcript of, of exactly what we should do, exactly uh, what, 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 what we should follow, the disciplines. He doesn't just give it to us like that. It's actually a natural process. Think of this. The imagery that Jesus is using here is what? I love gardening. I love gardening. I, I love germinating like my, the, the, the seeds in like paper towel and then like on the windowsill in a plastic bag and then transplanting them. I love that process. Call me a nerd. I don't care. Jesus uses this natural imagery to parallel what life with the Spirit should be like. Do you see this? It should be effortless. It should just happen. It should grow. But we're here, trapped in our sin, being like, Jesus, it's so difficult. It's so tough. When you look at the, the, the description of the good soil, it's short and sweet. But here is what we take hope in. That it's God's work in us, not our work for God, that transforms our hearts. You can't earn this. I can't earn this. It's a gift given to you through Jesus Christ's death and resurrection on a cross. His ascension into heaven. His gift of grace for every single one of us. It, is, it starts with an acceptance of that. And it's a natural outflowing from that point forward. So, while there's still rocks and there's still thorns, isn't it? It doesn't say that the good soil is completely rid of the thorns. It doesn't say that the good soil has no rocks or hasn't been hardened at some point. It doesn't read like that. And we know that that is actually a reality of our lives. We're not free from, the, from the, the, the temptation. We're not free from the sin that so easily entangles us. But we are free from the reign of sin. Through Jesus, we have a freedom where that doesn't have dominion over us anymore. Where we can rejoice all the more we, we, can, we can rejoice all the more in the grace that Jesus has given us. We celebrate in it. We say, I'm not perfect. Uh, pfft, I'm definitely not perfect. We're not perfect. We're not all stars. We're not uh, saved by our own works. 
but we'll leave it up to the natural process of the Holy Spirit transforming our hearts to make Him or to make us more like Him. We co-labor with the Spirit and what happens? We produce fruit. We all have different yields. That's what the scripture says, right? Some a hundredfold, big yields. Some 60, still, I'd take that. And even some 30, I'd still take that. At the end of the day, we produce different yields, but here is what's important. We're producing fruit in the kingdom. We're producing fruit in the kingdom. We are contributing to the kingdom of God. Allow this to come through your ears, to understand in your mind and to actualize in your heart for a moment. This is what we're called to do, to produce that fruit as we co-labor with Christ. Some of us have been so caught up in the game of life. We've been looking to achieve more, to make more money. Let me challenge you with this. Uh, God doesn't have an issue with promotion. He doesn't have an issue of taking you from there to there. Read the scripture. He does it all the time. But he does it in his timing. Why? Because he's looking for a character that can support the promotion he desires to give. And it's not the promotion you desire for yourself. It's the promotion that God desires to give on account of his will and his plan for your life. Are you ready to submit to that? Because that's probably the scariest thing I've said all morning. Are you ready to submit to the will of God for your life? And what does that look like? Again, this is a morning of being self-critical, reading yourself in the text. So are you going to produce fruit? Are you going to produce fruit for the body of Christ? For the kingdom of God? And if so, what does that look like? you heard the word this morning? Have you basked in it? Have you understood it? Has it manifested itself in your heart? My prayer, my sincere prayer is that it has. This is what I'm going to leave you with. The, the, this is the most tangible challenge that you will walk out of, uh, out of this place with. Write it down. Matthew 13. Open your Bible at some point this week and read Matthew 13. We've read it together this morning, but sometimes this process of learning, like we talked about at the beginning, it doesn't happen like this. Kid doesn't stop pooping his diaper the first time you tell them, right? So read Matthew 13, allow it to read you. Allow it to speak to your heart, the words of Jesus as he tells this parable. This is as, as, as hands-on as a challenge that I could give you. And some of you, this is great because you finally have an excuse to read your Bible, right? You finally, oh, well, Matthew 13, let's get it. Perfect. So revisit Matthew 13, read it and allow it to read you. Would you stand with me? I think it, before, before, before I close, it's worth just clarifying this one more time because this is the, the biggest danger for me teaching, the weight of teaching, if you will. Uh, I'm not prescribing dogma for you here. I'm not prescribing this a, as a cure-all. Trust me, your relationship with Jesus, if you take this thing seriously, it will probably mean uh, more hardship than it will celebration in this life. Truth be told, 
but is it the best possible adventure that you could embark on without a shadow of a doubt in my mind? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. God, I thank you that it speaks to my heart. God, I thank you that it speaks to our hearts. And as we read it this morning, understanding where our heart falls in relation to that soil, Lord, we ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you impress upon us uh, uh, where we're at. And Lord, I know that as you do that, you journey with us into deeper things. And my prayer for myself, but also for, for the community of Soul Sanctuary this morning is that we don't leave here and leave this in the seats, God, but that we leave here understanding that it's by your spirit that our life changes, that it's by an acceptance of Jesus Christ as our Savior and of that grace that our life changes. So we thank you from the depths of our heart. We love you. In your name, amen. So, another super clear call to action for you. If you're in here and you know you need to take a next step in your faith, you know that, um, so next Sunday is water baptism. Maybe you're like, I've been a Christian for so long, I can't remember, but I need to take this seriously. I haven't been baptized yet. You want to get baptized, okay? That's like a tangible next step. Uh, or maybe you just, you want to start a relationship with Jesus. You're like, I've been coming to church. I've been, I've been hearing about Jesus, but I don't have that relationship yet. I want to start it. We want to resource you here. That is why the church hires pastors. We want to resource you. We want to walk with you. We want to journey along your side and, and, and bring you into this community of Christ followers so that you can ultimately reach the potential that Jesus intends for you to reach. So at this cross, Pastor Jordan's already there. I'm going to join him in a second. Members of our staff are going to be there. If you need to take a next step, maybe you know you need to take it, but you don't even know what it is, and you just need help determining that, deciphering that, uh, we want to be there for you. That's what community is about. That's what the body of Christ is about. So come meet us there. All right. In ancient times, in the times of old, the one giving the blessing would raise their hands, and those receiving the blessing would do likewise. So if you'd like a blessing this morning, would you raise your hands with me? This is not a magical incantation. This is simply a prayer. As you go from here, Soul Sanctuary, may you go allowing the scattered seed to be planted. May you go allowing the planted seed to root. May you go allowing the rooted seed to grow. May you go allowing the growing seed to produce fruit. And as you go, may you seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, trusting in the Savior Jesus more than you trust in yourself. Be blessed and we will see you next week.